play-by-play voice of the Baltimore Ravens, Jerry Sandusky visits us in the trenches with Dave Lapham, brought to you by First Star Logistics. And if you have any questions whatsoever about why the Baltimore Ravens have given up big leads in the fourth quarter of both their home games, or any questions about their offense, their defense, their special teams, their coaches, their players, whatever it may be, Jerry Sandusky has the answers. He is the Baltimore Ravens answer man. And he joins us, and you're going to like what he has to say. It's an education on Ravens football. Thanks for joining us in the trenches with Dave Lapham, brought to you by First Star Logistics. As always, we are in our outstanding studios, and we have a very special guest today. If you want to know anything about Baltimore Ravens football, you call the guy that has his thumb on the pulse of Baltimore Ravens football. That's none other than the legendary Jerry Sandusky, play-by-play man extraordinaire, and media mogul in Baltimore. There's no question about that. What's happening, sir? Thanks for joining us. Good to be with you, buddy. It's great. Great. We finally get around to some AFC North conversations, and the season's starting to get interesting now, right? Boy, it sure is. Everybody's uh, everybody's two and two, uh, except Pittsburgh taking the uh, the rear seat at this point, one and three. And of course, the one victory, the Bengals go minus five in the opener, Jerry. Minus five. They give it away five times, and they should have and could have won the football game. Uh, should have and could have. Uh, Dave, I think we could rename this division right now the should have and could have division. <laughs> Because you know the Bengals should be four and zero, the Ravens should be four and zero, the Steelers right. should probably be three. Like, but guess what? We are who we are. Yeah. We are who the record says we are all across the division, and that creates a lot of stress and pressure right now. Week five, no, no doubt. It's it's crazy. I mean, both of the home games for the Baltimore Ravens, big leads in the fourth quarter, and can't hold on. That's so uncharacteristic. What? What do you think was the issue? What was the problem? Or I guess there's probably always multiple reasons why, but what's happened in the first two home games for the Ravens in your estimation this year? A couple of different things. In the Miami meltdown in week two, that was just the unfortunate intersection of inexperience and opportunity. Inexperience for the Ravens secondary, opportunity for the Dolphins. Marcus Peters had just come back from an injury. Marlon Humphrey had a groin injury and was on the sideline in the third quarter. And the Ravens had three rookies on the field. And Mike McDaniel for the Dolphins is an impressive young head coach, took full advantage of it, confused the rookies, and took advantage of mental mistakes. And all of a sudden, you add pressure to young players with a couple of mental mistakes, and the day slips away from them. The Bills game, you know, the Bills game is even more of a head scratcher because. Look, the Ravens hold the Bills to 23 points for the whole day. That's that's a good accomplishment. Yep. And they had held Buffalo to three points throughout most of the first half. If Patrick Queen catches the ball that hits him right in the chest, it's 20 to three at halftime instead of 20 to 10. That dropped interception let Buffalo back in the game. And, and we've both seen enough great quarterbacks over the years. You let a great quarterback back in the game, you almost always pay the price. And sure enough, Josh Allen comes out in the second half. He's got his offense going. He gets the Ravens on their heels, and it slips away. And now this goes back to last year, Dave. There's there's a trend going on here that's very unlike the Ravens with their defense. Yeah, Seven of their last 10 games, they've had a fourth-quarter lead and didn't hold it. Wow. This year, in their two home losses, 
the Ravens' opponents have had the lead for a combined 14 seconds. 14 seconds. Oh. And it's added up to two losses. So, you know, the good news from a Ravens' perspective is they're not getting blown out. They're not losing 56-2 to two to the New York Jets or, or to teams that are just kind of coming on the scene. But they are losing when they have the lead, and that's the part that they're, you know, I think part of it's strategic, part of it's mental, part of it's inexperience. There's lots of little variables, and they're going to have to get this together. I do believe the Ravens are a better team than they were a year ago, even though they had the top seed after 11 weeks. This is a better Ravens team this year. They've just got to figure out how to tie up some of these loose ends so that the season doesn't slip away. So Lamar Jackson put all the chips to the middle of the table. You know, he's, he's betting on himself, basically, handling his own contract negotiations. He's accounted for 13 touchdowns. Um, that is pretty impressive. The Buffalo Bills have scored 13 touchdowns. Philadelphia scored 15. Kansas City scored 16. I mean, he he's right there. There's only two teams that have accounted for more touchdowns than he has in the National Football League, and he's tied with uh, with Buffalo in terms of production. What kind of a year is he having? I mean, you look at numbers, it looks like pretty good year. Is he having a good year? He's having a very good year. And he's having a very good year when you factor in that none of the Ravens running backs have put together a 100-yard rushing game yet. He has been the rushing game. So you're getting J.K. Dobbins back now, and he's starting to get his feet back under him. The running game is starting to resemble what the Ravens normally do in the run game, but it's not there. So to me, what's most impressive about Lamar is he's doing all these things and he does not have his full complement of running backs. Gus Edwards isn't back yet. He's just returning to practice this week. So that, to me, is what's most impressive about Lamar and what he has done. What Lamar has to do now moving forward to get next level, and next level I mean deep into the playoffs and find his way to a Super Bowl and lead the team where it wants to go, he has to now start doing the little things. He's doing the macro. He's doing the big things. The numbers are there. He has to start being more consistent on – putting the ball right in front of the receiver on a quick slant to turn a three-yard gain into a 30-yard gain. Mm -hmm. He has to be more consistent on quick reads so that if you go back to the fourth quarter interception, if Lamar reads the Bills' defense more quickly, he would have seen he has Devin Duvernay in the corner wide open, and he could have gotten the ball out of his hand before he backpedals to the 20-yard line. And I'm not trying to be nitpicky, but Lamar, by betting on himself, is trying to be one of the greats. For Lamar to get the contract he wants, for Lamar to get the Ravens where they want to go, he's going to have to now go next level. And it's just the little things now. But as we both know, the difference between the good and the great are the little things that become the big things. When I when I look at his numbers, um, you know, I, I look at the fourth quarter and he's got no touchdowns, three interceptions. So he's got 11 touchdowns, one interception in quarters one, two, and three. Then in the fourth quarter, you know, it's a, it's a different scenario, and that's a money quarter, obviously, for quarterbacks. And then on third down, he's completing 40% of his passes for a little over four and a half yards per pass attempt. So it seems like he's killing people on first and second down. Third down is a little bit of an issue, and then the fourth quarter obviously has been an issue with turnovers that have been probably part of the reason that teams have been able to come back. Is that fair? I think totally fair, and I think the numbers speak to where Lamar has to improve. And again, I'm not picking on Lamar. He's having a, he's having a great year. He's a yep. great young quarterback. He's he's one of the elite players in this league. But there's only one quarterback who, at the end of the year, gets to hoist the Lombardi Trophy. And you know, Joe Burrow came close to that last year. And you saw that once Joe Burrow started to make gigantic strides in his performance, the whole organization followed. 
Yep. I'm the same with Lamar. I mean, look, that's why the Ravens are a terrific team is because Lamar is a terrific player and he sets the tone. But now he has to do what you just pointed out. If he's good enough to get it done in the first three quarters, he's got to finish. And really, that's that's the problem the Ravens have had in their two losses. They weren't blown out. They didn't play terrible games. They had right. great first halves. They had great right. three quarters. They just have to finish. And you, the numbers bear out exactly what you're speaking of. I mean, the Ravens have outscored people 31 to three in the first quarter, getting off to great starts. But the fourth quarter been outscored 43 to nine. You know, just just the opposite. So great starts, but haven't been able to haven't been able to finish and sustain uh, to basically just hone in on what you're what you uh, presented to us, Jerry. Lamar Jackson, okay, his, his rushing yards, I mean, pretty impressive. 316 yards on only 37 carries, averaging eight and a half yards per. He's got a 79-yard touchdown, the longest touchdown rush of the year. He's also got a 70-yard, uh, 75-yard touchdown pass as well to Bateman, which is pretty impressive. But are his a lot of his rushing yards, are they design quarterback runs? Are they create and extend scramble type things? How would you designate or divide? up the rushing yards of Lamar at this point. So Dave, this is the big shift we're seeing in Lamar in year five. His big rushing yards are designed runs. The change that we've seen in Lamar is Lamar is still scrambling and he's still taking plays that aren't yet developed and is extending them, but he's extending them into pass plays. When Lamar was his MVP season back in 2019, if things weren't going great in the past, game, man, he's taken off. He's down the sideline. But as he's matured as a, a now five-year veteran, he knows, he, A, he doesn't want to take the hits. Yep. You want to play this game a long time. You don't want to take all the hits. But he also knows that the big plays on passing plays still have to be passes. And he's done a very good job of extending plays as far as possible to keep them passing plays. The big runs, the 79-yard run, that was a quarterback. That was a read option. The touchdowns, those are quarterback powers. Those are designed runs for Lamar. And offensive coordinator Greg Roman has done a really, really good job of play calling so that he can maximize Lamar's impact as a running back without putting him in harm's way too often. And then Lamar's doing a much better job of extending plays and then running at the very, very last second if there's no other option or just throwing the ball out of bounds and live for the next play. I'm telling you, he is he is so tough because – you know, as we know, it, it's it's eleven on eleven football, or eleven ten on eleven anyway. Um, you know, it, it's it's like when the quarterback's running the football, it changes the gaps. I mean, the gap control responsibilities change dramatically because you know, not, usually quarterback hands off, watches, and you got a running back, and you got nine guys blocking for him against eleven defenders. Now you have ten blocking against eleven, and that changes the gap control deals. And with a guy like him, that makes it doubly tough. And and he is. He's as impressive a runner and I, I think as disciplined a runner at the quarterback position as I've seen in a very, very long time. And the other thing Lamar does well is his ball skills are on point. I, I literally had to change the way I call games with play-by-play. -play. Really? Because, you know, when Joe Flacco was there and, you know, we think of the other quarterbacks the Ravens have had, Vinny Testaverde or you know, the, the myriad of guys they had, right. you could see where the ball was at all times. Yeah. And so you would just call the ball. And, you know, it was, it was obviously a pass. It was obviously a run. You could stay right on the ball. Lamar's ball skills are so good. You can't tell where the ball is on a lot of the read option exchanges. You think he's put the ball into J.K. Dobbins' belly, and you start to call Dobbins through the, you know, through the A-gap, and all of a sudden Lamar's around the left edge. 
Right. So I, I've learned to literally stay behind the play when I call it because you can't stay in front of it. Now, if that's challenging for me as a play-by-play announcer, yep. I can only imagine what it's like as a defensive end trying to figure out who has the ball. And it's like press the digitation, right? It's like yeah. slide the hand, you know, here you see it, now you don't. And and uh, that's, that is, that is huge. Um, how's the offensive line playing at this point? I know, I know there's been a little bit of an injury uh, scenario, particularly at the, at the left tackle position with, uh, with Stanley. What, what's going on up front? So uh, I'm going to set a scenario for you as a former offensive lineman. And I'm going to, I'm going to ask you what you would think the scenario would be. Okay. You've got a rookie center. And now you are on your fourth left tackle and you're going into week five. What do you think the scenario is going to be? <laughs> right? You're, yeah. you're thinking, you're thinking flirt with disaster, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're well, thinking two and two ain't bad. Right. But, but here's the part that I, I'm going to flip the table on you in, in, a, in a surprise. Yeah. Honestly, God, I've never seen an offensive line that's on its fourth left tackle that looks better than what I'm starting to see from the Ravens offensive line. Wow. This kid, Daniel Falele, who was a fourth-round pick out of Minnesota, yeah. 6'8", 380, and has really good feet and hands. 6'8", 380. 6'8", <laughs> 380. That's and, a condo. That's a condo right. out there. <laughs> and so, you know, typically, look, let's face it. We've, we've both seen guys who are 6'8", 380. They usually have cement feet. Not this right. kid. He's got really good feet. Wow. Now, here's the other part. He's played his entire career, high school, college, training camp, right tackle. He gets thrust, thrust into left tackle last week in New England. First time he's ever played it. Wow. First half, has his hands full, gives up a couple of sacks, pretty predictable stuff. Second half, he turns into a road grader. Defensive huh. end disappears, and the Ravens start running the ball. Last week, he did an amazing job against Von Miller, Greg Rousseau, two tremendous edge pass rushers that the Bills have. Wow. And again, more than just holding his own. I think, you know, I think you'll see Ronnie Stanley this week. And I think Ronnie Stanley probably wants to get out there and start playing because otherwise Ronnie Stanley might be seeing the next left tackle of the Ravens. This kid is going to be a starting tackle next year on this organization. And so as difficult a spot they're in with going four deep at left tackle, the Ravens have discovered something and they've seen the future. And this kid is a big part of it. What is it about the Ravens? I mean, Ozzy used to find these behemoths that could move at left tackle. The Ravens have had gargantuan left tackles that are athletic. I mean, man, that your Ravens organization does an incredible job of that. They they have a type that they want, and they find that guy, don't they? And they really do. They really do. And I don't look, a lot of it is because they're willing to make the unsexy pick. When the Ravens right. took Jonathan Ogden, fourth pick overall, the first draft class of 96 that was an unsexy pick you know yep. the sexy pick was the running back lawrence phillips sure unsexy sure. sometimes is the right pick long term when they took ronnie stanley in a top 10 pick totally unsexy but pro bowl player then they find this 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 young man daniel falele in the fourth round and that might be you know, one of the one of the head spinning steals because you find a starting tackle in the fourth round you've done some really great things so eric DaCosta has picked up the the mantra from ozzy as a general manager and because they worked hand in glove for so long, the you know the approach to looking for linemen and the understanding of the importance of those linemen, and then the understanding of the importance of having good line coaches. Joe Delisandro, right. the offensive line coach, has done a great job with the Ravens now for many years. And it's one thing to find good talent; it's another thing to develop it. You do it both. Now you've got a system. Just like your dad, you're you're well aware of what goes on in that regard. Your dad, John, was phenomenal. He was my 
coach at the senior bowl. And I'll tell you right now, your dad opened my eye. I'm, I, I was a lineman of Syracuse that ran an unbalanced line and never pass protected, you know, and your dad, I, I, I thank a million times over. Your dad gave me a lot of technique awareness at the senior bowl that, that was instrumental for me. I'm telling you, your, your dad was a hell of a line coach. Great coach. Great guy. I, too. I appreciate that. And, you know, I, I, one of the things I miss with my dad, I mean, past 17 years ago is I used to love having kitchen table conversations over a cold beer, X and Oing, yep. and, and asking my dad, all right, what's this team doing? What yep. am I missing? And he'd say, they're doing this, this, and that. And then I said, is that something new? He said, no, actually, you know, the the, the Rams used to do that in, in the late 50s. <laughs> or, oh, yeah, San Francisco did that, in, you know, in, in 1969. Or like, and it was the, the you know, the old timers all understand that there's only so many things you can do with 11 players. And it all comes back down to the point of attack and technique. And honestly, and we've talked about this before, your dad was a hell of a player in the offensive line himself. And sweet feet. When he got out there on that dance floor at the senior bowl, I was like, wow, check out Coach Sandusky, ballroom dancer, man. He was he was strong. He was really good. So Dave, I, I think I've shared this with you, but I've always here, here's one major change that I would make in the in the combine, the scouting combine at Indy. I would have a dance off for linemen. <laughs> I, I don't give a damn what your, what your 40 time is. How often does a tackle run 40 yards down the field? Bingo. What I want to see is who can dance yeah. because if you can dance, it means you have light feet. And I used yep. to see this in family weddings all the time, right? Big John would get out there, my dad and, and you know, all of us, us kids, he had five kids. We'd be like, how in the world can he dance like that? He's bigger than all of us. And none of us could dance. And that's what we knew. None of us were going to be pro athletes. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That is great. Okay, so the relationship that Mark Andrews has with Lamar is obviously special. I mean, Mark Andrews leads all tight end and catches, perennial pro bowler, such a great route runner, seems like a very, very intelligent football player. Talk about Andrews and the receivers, you know, that Lamar's thrown to a little bit. So Mark Andrews, uh, he has what Mahomes and Kelsey have with Lamar. They have that connection. They have that nonverbal understanding and and here's the thing mark andrews gets and he has it from the moment he arrived at camp it was pretty eye-opening he understands where the hole is on the defense he's not just going to run the exact route as it's designed he's going to run the route and mid-route he's going to recognize the defense and he's going to find the open spot and lamar and him have a great nonverbal, and they understand that look that it might not be a pure seven route it might not be a pure stop route it might not be a, a traditional stick nod but they both see where the opening is going to be, and they know that Mark Andrews is going to get there. That's the big part of the Andrews-Jackson connection. The nice part about the Ravens passing game, and this is a big plus, is Rashad Bateman and Devin DuVernay have been outstanding. They're both very fast. They both run good routes, and they're getting great yards after catch. You know, Bateman's 75-yard touchdown was a seven-yard slant. It was a boom-boom, three-step drop. Ball out of Lamar's hand, catch, and you know seven-yard gain, and and take off sixty-eight yards on the run. Nice. Duvernay doing a lot of the same things, and so while this was a highly criticized receiving core in the offseason for understandable reasons on the national media, you know these guys had very few catches among them. They have shown in the first month of the season that this is a quality group of young receivers. 
All right, so let's flip to the defensive side of the football. Don Wink Martindale moves on. He's now the New York Giants defensive coordinator. Mike McDonald uh, has been there for a while, went to the Michigan with brother Jim of John Harbaugh to be his coordinator, and then he comes back to the to the Ravens. So, I mean, there's familiarity. He's, what, nine years, I think, he's been with the, the organization. What's going on defensively? So it's a different defense than you're used to seeing. You know, you, you come to Baltimore in years past, and you know on first down, Wink was going to blitz. On second down, Wink was going to blitz. On third down, Wink was going to blitz. Bingo. The, only, the only thing you didn't know was where is the blitz coming from? Mm-hmm. Mike McDonald runs a much more multiple defense. He's not just going to sit back and cover one or cover zero and bring the house. He's going to show you more cover two, more cover four, more cover three. He's still going to blitz. But it's going to be a, the idea is to be less predictable with the predictable blitz. Yep. It's a more multiple look. And like all young coaches in this league, the key thing for Mike McDonald is going to be weathering the storm. And by that, I mean you lose two home games where you have 17 point leads late in the game and they don't hold up, you're going to catch fire. It's, it's the nature of the business. And as, as Mike gets through this phase, he'll learn that like sometimes the best defensive plans, fall prey to injuries and rookies in the fourth quarter. Sometimes the best defensive plans run into a hot Josh Allen in the fourth quarter. And it's not that you dismiss those outright, but you have to keep the big picture. And the big picture is you're losing to two pretty good teams. You had some legitimate circumstances. You've got to make sure you continue to believe in what you're doing so that your players continue to believe in what you're doing. Years ago, in in business circles, I came across this consultant who had a formula for the impact of plans, and it applies to football. It's the quality of the plan, one to to 10, the quality of the plan, times buy-in, one Mm -hmm. to 10. So you can have a 10 plan. You can have the greatest defensive game plan of all time. But if the players don't buy into it, 10 times one equals 10. Right. If you have a good defensive game plan, a six, but the players totally buy into it at a 10, 60 has had a lot more impact than 10 in terms of the outcome. So for Mike McDonald, the key to me is just believe in what you're doing. Grow as you go, make your adjustments, be confident, and keep the players buying in. Because this is still a defense that's got tons of talent, especially in the back end. They're going to get healthier on the rush. They're going to get better on, on the edge. Hopefully the inside linebacker play improves as well. They'll have the personnel weather the storm, and I think you're going to be okay. If the, if the coordinator gets like uncertain of himself, players smell that. Players sense that, and that's that's where you could have trouble. Has it been patched up if needed to be patched up between Peters and Coach Harbaugh after the game? That that got a lot of buzz, obviously. Sure, got tons of buzz. You know what? I, I don't mind it. I don't think John Harbaugh minds it either because. What makes Marcus Peters so dangerous is he is explosive. He's passionate. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. going to put his foot in the ground. He's going to make a break on the ball. It's not always going to go his way. But when I see a player like that getting into it with a coach, I know the player cares. He yep. gives a damn. And you know John Harbaugh gives a damn. So, look, every so often you're going to have that happen. Yep. When it happens in games, I'm far less concerned about it than if it's happening three days a week in practice. If it's happening in a cafeteria, if it's happening on the practice field all the time, yep. then you've got real issues. If that's happening in the game, you got two men who care deeply about winning in a game you lost, it's going to happen. They'll be fine. So who's playing 
good football defensively at each level of uh, of the defensive team in your estimation at this juncture? I know short sample size, it's only a quarter of the way, not even a full quarter of the way into the season with a 17-game season now. So up front, uh, Matabike and Calais Campbell are just you know, lights out. They're, they're doing a tremendous job. Broderick Washington has come in to replace Michael Pierce, and, and Washington played pretty solid last week as well. So I think the defensive line, really solid, and, and they're foundational. Adafi Owe had a slow start in terms of quarterback pressures, got uh-huh. his first sack. He was he was in the grill of Josh Allen a couple of times. He's found his way. He's going to be fine. The other edge is where you have some concerns. Justin Houston didn't play with a groin injury. You got a 33-year-old edge edge rusher with a groin injury. That could linger. They bring in Jason Pierre-Paul, and he did a solid job. He, he, was, he did as much as you could hope for a guy who was signed on Monday, played on Sunday. Right. The lack of depth on the edge is a major, major point of concern. This this is something that they've dealt with from training camp forward, and they've got to get that fixed because we both know it's easy to pin the blame of pass yards on the secondary, but your secondary gets exponentially better as your pass rush gets better. Right on. <laughs> Inside right linebacker on. has been inconsistent. Patrick Queen, former first-round pick, started the season phenomenal against the Jets. Didn't play as well against the Dolphins. Played much better against the Patriots. Didn't play as well last week in the loss to the Bills. So he still has to take that next level of being consistently excellent to anchor that group. Secondary, I like the secondary a lot. I mean, you got Marcus Williams, who you picked up from the Saints. He's a playmaker yeah. on the ball. Yeah. Peters, Humphrey, you got, you got playmakers over there. Chuck Clark's a solid safety as well. And then the X factor back there is Kyle Hamilton, first-round pick out of Notre Dame, like all rookies, has made his mistakes. But what I really like about Kyle Hamilton is I don't see the same mistake week after week. He makes a mistake, might be a costly mistake, but he learns from it, he moves on, he makes plays. I really like the upside of potential with him. And what you're going to see from the Ravens is you're going to see a little bit more three safety than you've usually seen in the past. So if it goes to a nickel or dime package, sometimes that nickel or dime is going to be a safety. You'll have three safeties a lot. And that gives Mike McDonald, the defensive coordinator, some different options than you typically would have if you're just plugging a fifth cornerback out back there. What about the uh, all-important special teams? I mean, Duvernay is leading the, the, the NFL in punt returns, what, over 15 yards per return. Uh, also is uh, is number one in, in kickoff returns, averaging 42 yards per return with a 103-yard touchdown. Now the Bengals, McPherson's just burying every kickoff. They haven't even had a kickoff return against them. But Duvernay, man, the Ravens are number one in the return game as a team and individually. He's doing a hell of a job, isn't he? Yeah, he was a pro bowler and an all-pro last year as a returner, and now he's doing those same things, plus he's adding his impact in the wide receiver game. So he's an immensely valuable player who quickly we're seeing, yeah, don't don't – you don't, you don't want to kick the ball to this guy because he can do too much with it. Yeah, I, I love, Dave, the matchup. Is when you talk special teams in this game, you got two phenomenal kickers. Really? I mean, if you can get the ball to your own 40-yard line, you're in field goal range for either one of these teams. It is and, crazy. And, and look, this is a game, I think, strategically, if you're the head coaches, you've got, you've got to make sure, okay, we have to make sure this game stays close and we have the ball last because both head coaches feel like they've got the kicker who can be the difference in this game. To me – this is a game where you you strategically plan around get the ball last, keep it close, let our kicker win it. It's it's going to be uh, exciting. I mean that that those hidden yards. Uh, the Bengals had a ten yard 
advantage per possession, and there were 11 or 12 possessions. Bengals had 12, Dolphins had 11. In the last game, the Bengals' drive start was their 33, the Dolphins the 23. When you have over a football field of those hidden yards, you know, putting the opponent on long field and you're getting some short ones due to kicking game and or turnovers or whatever, uh, that, that's a factor. And speaking of turnovers, how about uh, the Bengals start out minus five, and they've they've in the last three games they have seven takeaways by five different players, and they're back to plus one, which is tied for eighth in the league. But how about the the Ravens? Ten takeaways, tied for first in the NFL. Five giveaways, tied for tenth. Plus five is second overall. I mean, that's a big factor in the start, isn't it? Well, it's a huge factor when you consider a year ago the Ravens were minus eleven for the whole yeah. season. Wow. Since John Harbaugh came on board, he's now in year 15. In the years the Ravens are plus turnover differential, they go to the playoffs. The years they're minus, they miss the playoffs. It's hmm. that big. In this league, turnover differential will usually point you in the direction of win and loss. And as we look at the Ravens and the Bengals so far in this young season, it's a pretty clear indicator that if you're going to win come Sunday night at MIT Bank Stadium, you have to win the turnover differential because – it flips the field with offenses that are so explosive. You can't give Joe Burrow a short field. You can't give Lamar a short field because they're going to beat you every time. Let me get you out of here on this one, Jerry. And I certainly do appreciate all the time you carved. You are outstanding. I feel like I know what I need to know a little bit about the Baltimore Ravens. So hopefully our viewers and listeners do as well. Is it just my imagination when I'm looking? I say, you know what? Lamar looks like he's under center a little bit more. It looks like they're going empty backfield a little bit um, more than they have. Are, are, are those two things, am I seeing things or am I kind of on no, the right track? You're seeing things accurately. You will see Lamar under center a little bit more. They still run the pistol a lot. They still run the shotgun a lot. They will do the empty backfield a little bit more. The empty backfield speaks to how much the Ravens feel confident in their receiving. And, and a guy we haven't touched on who I think is going to become a bigger factor is a rookie tight end named Isaiah Likely. He's in there a lot. He's only gotten the ball five times so far, but you're going to see those numbers go up. So you have you know your wide receivers who we've touched on, Mark Andrews, Isaiah Likely. Now it's it, it starts to become who are you going to double? As Likely becomes a bigger target, much harder to double Mark Andrews and Rashad Bateman. You can't double everybody. So the empty backfield with a lot of targets Lamar likes makes some pressure situations for the secondary. Lamar under center creates a lot of different things in the running game, and it just forces the defense now to have to think more about, okay, multiple formations – multiple options Lamar can run Lamar can throw it keeps people a little bit more on their heel and it's the next step in this evolution of the offense under Greg Rome appreciate your knowledge sir and uh appreciate what a professional you are you are as good as anyone at what you do there's no question about that thanks Thank for spending time with us today and I will see you this weekend We'll be right next door buddy always look forward to having you guys come to Baltimore can't wait should be a great game and great visiting with you today Crab cakes. There we go. <laughs> Getting ready. Thank you, Jerry. You got it, buddy. Be good. Thanks. At First Star Logistics, we're a very strict company that really puts the pressure on our employees. <laughs> Brakes? What are those? That's what I'm talking about, Icky. Get the body right, then the mind's right. You yeah. know that? Become a star with a chance to earn the highest commission percentages in the industry as a freight broker agent. Check out firststarlogistics.com.